I'm going to go ahead and open us in prayer. Lord, thank you that we gather here to listen to your word. And Lord, that you teach us from your word. Lord, I ask that you would use your truth to produce in us change, true change that comes from your spirit. It says, Jesus says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And Lord, so as we look at your word, I ask that you would penetrate our hearts, that you would help us to know your will, and that you would enable us to do it, Lord, by your grace and by your spirit. And help me, Lord, to speak, Lord, what you have placed on my heart and what you have been teaching me through this, this wonderful chapter. And, uh, and use me, Lord, to, to speak the words that you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I titled this Christian Maturity um, because Paul makes it clear in uh, chapter 1, verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. <clears throat> so that's why it's called Christian maturity, because I feel like that's Paul's aim in, uh, in this letter to the Colossians. And so what, what have we seen already? We've seen Christ's preeminence in chapter 1. And we've seen Christ's work and his centrality and our, and our growth and our walk and our salvation in chapter 2. And now Paul's going to start talking about our response to these truths that he, has, that he has told us. So he's bridging that, that from the theological truth to practical application. <clears throat> And I think his argument really begins in verse 20 when he's saying, if with Christ, verse 20 of chapter 2, he says, if with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you are still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? And then he'll go on in chapter 3, verse 1, saying, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And so I, I think he really starts in verse 20, chapter 2, and then he's going to continue this this argument of, you know, do it, the, the, what's really going on, I think, is you have, you know, the Gnostics are probably there, and the Gnostics teach uh, a very, they're very, um, they have many different forms of Gnosticism. And basically what they say is that all matter is evil, and therefore Christ didn't come in the flesh. And they, they usually hold to a view that you can sin all you want because sin is in your, in your flesh and your spirit is separate. And so they don't really have, you know, it's this really loose way of uh, living. And then you have what looks like the Judaizers, which are there. And uh, we'll get more clues as to why I think that as we go along. But he's, Paul's basically telling us, look, you've died to the, to the world. You died to the ways of the world to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you're still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? 
do not touch, do not taste, or do not taste, do not touch. Uh-uh. And then, so he's going to tell us, oh, okay, this is, he says, you know, the asceticism is severity to the body, but they are of no value, this is in verse 23, chapter 2, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And I think in chapter 3, he's going to begin to tell us what is valuable in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And I think that's directly referring to the Gnostics. Um, So in chapter 3, he says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, starting my first point, our position in Christ. So, we've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And I'll go ahead and throw a question out there. And what, in what ways have we died with Christ? And in what ways are we made alive with Christ? We've died with the sin and death and made alive in Christ. It's a, you wrote, I wrote on here our position in Christ, and that, that in itself is uh, not only the born-again experience, but we're new created people, and it's our nature that has been transformed. Amen. Yeah, we've, we've died to sin, Right? We've died to the world, and we're, we've died to the law. As it says, he tells us in chapter 2, that by canceling out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So anything, anyone else have an idea of how we die with Christ? The, the power of sin. We have the ability, we've been given the ability by that to choose not to sin, whereas we didn't have that before. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, can anyone, what, in what ways have we been made alive with Christ? Well, I was going to say that we've died to self. Uh, Galatians 2.20, uh, we've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. Amen. That was a scripture that I was just going to read. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been crucified with Christ. Now, I'm going to go ahead and mention, you know, James' mention of the walking dead and zombies. I feel like, is, I feel like that's a great, as weird as it sounds, that's a great example, right? It's like we're walking dead. We were the walking dead before, and we're the walking dead after, but it's just vice versa. Before, we were dead to God. We were dead to spiritual things. We were alive in the world with our sinful passions and sinful desires. And now, we are dead to the world, dead to sin, dead 
to the law and we are alive to God. And I want to point out in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he's really telling us this is something of faith. This is something we do just like we believe that Christ has taken our pardon. Christ has secured our pardon. He has died for our sins on the cross. So we believe that we have died with him and we are raised with him. That's something we take by faith. As he says, we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's, that's something that we, we take by faith. I mean, we don't see it. We don't feel it most of the time. But we read the word of God and it tells us that it's so. So we... Everything is by faith. Whatsoever is unto faith is sin. And so we understand that, that this is true because the word of God tells us. And then um, moving on here, our, our promise of Christ's return. Um, so he's telling us, set your affections on things above. And I, I really wanted to say, you know, this is really the key to our sanctification is, is being heavenly minded. Um, you know, they say, we've all heard the saying, or probably most of us has, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, I think Paul is co directly contradicting that. You cannot be any earthly good if you're not heavenly minded, if you don't have a heavenly perspective. Much like Nick's sermon last Sunday talking about pr positional perspective. I wanted to name this that, but he already took the name, so. Um, but it's, it's a positional perspective. It's, you know, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. When you look in Ephesians chapter 1, when he's telling us about the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. You know, Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us and the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You know, so these, these spiritual blessings, you know, and Christ spoke the same way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so if, if, if we've really come to love Christ, then our hearts are going to be set on heaven where he is at the right hand of God, exalted. You know, all, all, he, all things have been put under his feet, and we're there with him. And so you know, if our hearts are there and our minds are there, then I think the rest of Paul's exhortation is going to be very easy. The obedience that Paul's calling for, putting off and putting on, these things that he's going to talk about. I think if you get this right, the rest of it will fall into place. 
If, you're, if your heart is set on heaven where Christ is, sanctification, I think, will naturally happen. Um, and that's our preoccupation with Christ. I think I'm going to go there, and then I'll go back to the promise of Christ's return, because I have a couple verses I want to read. But our, that's our preoccupation with Christ. Right? I'm more disposed to telling someone the gospel if I'm walking around with my head in, in heaven. If I'm thinking on Christ and thinking on heavenly things, I am much more disposed to be quick to do good works or preach the gospel to somebody. If, if I'm sitting here thinking about all these things that are going on in my life, which is so easy for us, you know, we can get overwhelmed with life and the things that are happening, then it's, it's hard for us to jump to that and, and just be ready to, you know, for every good work. And so I think Paul is giving us a very good piece of advice that you know, we do our best to keep our mind fixed on God and keep our mind fixed on eternity and eternal life and the things that are promised to us in Christ, the things that are ours in Christ. <clears throat> so um, very briefly, I'll go into um, the promise of Christ's return. And uh, I wanted to read Psalm, hold on, let me make sure this is right. Um, the promise of Christ's return. Right, so um, actually it's Revelation. Revelation 21, and then 21, and then 22. It's talking about heaven. It says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is what we're looking forward to, is when Christ returns, and he mentions it here in Colossians chapter 3, where he says, when Christ who is our life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I think what he's saying here is, he's talking about our glorification. Um, he says you'll appear with him in glory. And that's a, the promise of Christ's return. And, and Psalm seventeen fifteen, David says, As for me, I will behold your face in righteousness. When I awake... I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And I think this is it's very obvious. David is talking about the glorification when we put off this immortality, or we put off mortality and we put on immortality. This is what we're looking forward to. So when Christ returns, then we, we will really be put off this body of sin and death and put on a new body, which is made after his image and his likeness. And I'll move on to my second point here, practicing heavenly conduct. And like I said before, I think this first part is the key for the rest of this chapter, is having a right perspective is going to make the, the rest of this so much easier for us. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and these too you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so Paul, Paul's telling, put off these things, right? And put on, he's going to tell us, after this, he's going to say, put on, you know, so putting off the old man. Um, and I, want to, I guess I'll go ahead and ask a question. Um, in this modern world, in, in what ways are we putting off the old man and putting on the new man? think you need to be real specific into what it is that um, you struggle with in your own life. What are some of the sins that you struggle with personally? And be specific in putting those off and putting on the opposite of those things. So as you like look through this list, you know, this is obviously not like a fully comprehensive list, but you can go through and go, okay, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. In which ways am I is my talk obscene? In which ways do I, you know, it's really easy for us to, you know, share jokes that are not appropriate, but because they don't have any swear words in it, we're like, it, it gets a free pass, you know? So just even down to thinking through some of those things, and then what does scripture say about the type of talk we should have, that which is, only say that which is building up and encouraging to those who are around you, that it may give grace to those. And um, so I think, you know, being real specific and thinking through that um, in your own life personally is key. Yeah. A good point. I think also what um, is a temptation for many is the old man is carrying this obligation to live by the rules in this very strict paradigm that God only approves of you when you are checking every box in life. And that, that too becomes sin when we're not living under his grace and we're just trying to keep all of the commandments every day in the way that uh, we're earning our salvation, but we all know that that's not the case. He's already done it, he's already earned it, so now we live out of adoration and love for what he's accomplished for us. Something that stands out to me in this verse uh, five is the last three words, which is idolatry. Anything that we put ahead of God is we are worshiping that. We have made an idol out. We can make an idol out of our career, our family, our children, um, wanting what somebody else has, the, you know, wanting to be, wanting to have bigger and better we can, we can put that ahead of God, and it says right here clearly, it's idolatry. That's breaking the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think you, you look at these sins, and it's very, it, it goes with what, I think it's in, um, I think it's in First John, he says, you know, the things of the world, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Right, and you see the lust of the flesh here, the lust of the eyes, and then 
the second grouping is the pride of life, right? Anger and, and blasphemy, which is slander, and you know, basically arguing, you know. And I think like the like what Joe said, the asceticism, that's exactly what he mentions when he's saying this. That's like you're seeking the things of the world back in um, chapter two, verse twenty. Saying you, when you're doing that, you're seeking the ways of the world. But very good points. Um, so putting on the new man. And you know, I think the example I the only example I had written down for this is you know, like when Lazarus came out of the grave, right? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And when he came out, he was wrapped in linen cloths. And Jesus said, take the linen cloths off of him. And I imagine they would have put a robe on him or some type of tunic or garment. And so he, he was dead and he was wearing grave clothes, but then he, he, it was proper and appropriate to remove those grave clothes and to put on appropriate clothes for the living. And so I think us too, when we're putting on the new man, we're realizing that we, we have been made a citizen of heaven. We, we have a new nature. We are a new person in Christ, and so we have, God has changed our affections. He's changed our desires. He's changed the things that we, that we do and don't do, and so we, we, I think the beginning of your Christian life, you know, it may be, some things may be difficult to uh, ascertain, but as you grow in faith and sanctification, I think, you, you know, that's something that we always do, is we're always putting off the old and putting on the new. We're always you know, looking into the word of God to see what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. As he says here, and um, he says, you have put on the new man. This is a ch- verse 10, chapter 3. You have put on the new man, or the new self, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And I think it's important he's saying it's renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Just like in Genesis we were made in the image of God, this is saying that you've been born again and you're being renewed in knowledge, which I believe is the word of God, the spirit in us, teaching us the word of God, after the image of its creator. And I think that's plainly, we're being made into the image of Jesus Christ, and that's the goal for every Christian, right? It's to be like Christ, Christ-likeness, Christ-mindedness. That's our goal. He, he is our teacher, and we're, we follow him, and so that is the aim of every Christian. We, you know, we read, I think um, this says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right, so that's, that's the way of the Christian life is that Christ's teaching it, 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 is, it is something that we hold in very high esteem because it teaches us what is appropriate. Um, and so you know, God's, God's promise of sanctification I think I wanted to look at Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so there's our promise of sanctification. God is going to continue making us more like Christ. 
as it says, he who began a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So you have the promise of Christian growth as long as you are rooted in Christ. Um, let me get back to Colossians here. And again, I'm just going to say, you know, I think when it comes to obedience and, and putting off these things and putting on these things, um, there's a very practical way of, of, you know, meditating on the Word of God. And I know for me personally, some of the times when I've been most ready as far as obedience is when I have sat and thought long and hard about God's grace towards me. This, this has really been something that I've experienced. Is, you know, I've kind of, you enter those times where things seem dry and hard. You're not really, you don't really feel close to God. And how many times I've just sat there and, and, and meditated on the person of Christ and the work and what he's done for me. Meditating on the cross and meditating on the fact that he has taken my guilt and my shame, and that he has secured eternity with me. As it says, our life is hid with Christ. That's, that sounds pretty secure to me, that it's hidden in him, and so there's, no, no one can take that away from you. And realizing his mercy towards us, which this is going to apply to what we're getting into, is, you know, he, we were his enemies. We, 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 were, we didn't deserve what he gave us. You know, we were so far in the opposite direction, God-haters, and yet he chooses to come and die for us on the cross. And to me, that, that, I feel like that is part of the heavenly mindedness that you know, helps our sanctification is meditation on what, what God has done for us. And so he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I feel like that's theological truth, yes, but it's also you know, the promises that are to you personally. Like Paul says in Galatians, he says, he gave himself for me. He made it personal. It's not just Christ died for sin for everybody. No, it, it's for you personally. Christ died for you. And when you, when you meditate on that and you realize his love for you, it is very powerful in motivating our obedience. And so, um, is there any questions or comments? I'm trying to stick with my notes, but <laughs> my notes are all over the place. I'm sorry if I seem like I'm everywhere. It's been, a, it's been one of those weeks. But um, any comments or questions from anybody? Yeah, I think it's especially the comments that have been made that I've heard that um, we we have put on a new man, a new self, but that new self has a can have a tendency to fall sin, and that's the that's the struggle that we have because you that can get you to question your salvation. You go, well, if I'm a new man, why do I still indulge in this or sin in this way, and it can tend to lead to what Joe is talking about, which is, well, I just have to do better. I just have to be better, and God will be pleased with me. We, we have to come to grips with the fact that he completed it. We're sanctified, done, to be sanctified. <laughs> and that's the hard part, because we want to be pleasing to the Lord, but when we're pleasing to him, that can fill us up and puff us up and go, look at how good I'm doing. So there's always a danger 
And I think that's what this, he's talking about this knowledge. You, you're, you're continually being fed with the knowledge of the word of God that sheds light on the truth of your sanctification in Christ that is a done deal. It's done. And this struggle with having an unredeemed flesh that is still extant in us. And so we can, we can take hope and have hope in the fact that it's a done deal, but we also have to work hard to, with the Spirit of God, to be sanctified in this life and put off and put on. So when he, has, when he says, I, you have to put this off, that means you can do it. And you may be involved in it right now, so stop. And I think that's the struggle we have. It can take you down. It can make you low. It can, it can, it can almost destroy you when you think that my Savior did this for me, and yet this is what I'm involved in, or I've, I have a propensity to do. So that's why we keep coming back here. We keep coming back to be encouraged, to be um, um, encouraged in the fact that we're on the right track, and we walk with each other, and we encourage each other in that way and pray for one another. It, it's an amazing thing, and discouragement is, needs to be excluded because of the truth of our sanctification in Christ, hidden, like he said. That's a great thought, so be encouraged. Yeah, that's a good point, Dan. That's um, something I, I think I wanted to talk about. I kind of maybe skipped over it, but... You know, personally for me, it was, um, you know, that, that pivotal moment realizing, you know, I was, trying, I was trying to sanctify myself from the beginning of my Christian walk. I, I, you know, I come from a Pentecostal church, and I, I was trying to keep the law, man. Like, that was my whole bent. Keep the law, pray, read my Bible, and if I don't do these things, God's not happy with me. And it was, you know, through a pivotal, pivotal moment when the doctrinal truth of the I am sanctified, and I'm being sanctified at the same time. For me, that, once I got that, that was a whole change in my Christian walk. I, I, you know, I realized it didn't depend on my, on my, my works, on my efforts. You know, that God, that God had chosen me, and I think that, that was the, most pri the primary thing, was coming to grips with his sovereignty, his election, that God had chosen me. So there's nothing I could do to ruin that. Now, Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me, I will lose none of them. Now, that's a pretty sure promise. He'll lose none. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't fail. If you've been given to him by the Father, you're his. So, <clears throat> so any more questions or comments? I'm a very visual learner, so I guess this is why this, this illustration stuck out to me, but playing on uh, what you just said. Um, and I don't know, remember who I heard this sermon by, but they said that Lazarus, even though he, Lazarus, even though he was alive, he stunk. <laughs> and he had to lose those grave clothes in order to not stink anymore. And he said, sometimes we're still wearing grave clothes. And it, sin stinks. <laughs> and it takes a while to, to lose that odor, to lose that smell. And we won't lose it completely. Amen. I think I'm moving into my last point here. Um, heavenly relationships. It's Colossians 3, 12 through 25. So Paul's going to start talking about ba basically our relationships. 
And he starts in verse 12. I'll go ahead and read this to the end of the chapter. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'll actually go ahead and stop there. So that's, he's talking about our relationship with believers. And I think, you know, what, he's, what he says in there is, you know, our fellowship what I, is what I see. He says, you know, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. You know, he, he's, he wants this, the church in Colossae to get this because this, this is important. This is part of our sanctification, right? It's coming together as believers and admonishing one another and encouraging, encouraging one another, just as Dan was talking about. You may be down in the dumps because, you know, you have something going on as far as sin, and it may take another believer to encourage you, you know, to lift you up out of that pit. And so I, th I feel like this is another key that Paul's giving us as far as our sanctification goes and as far as being a healthy, mature Christian. Um, you know, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, like, why do we sing hymns here? Because it's reminding us of doctrinal truth. Why do we fellowship? Because brothers will remind you of doctrinal truth. It's, it's important. You know, we pray for each other. Um, so, that, you know, as far as our relationship with believers go, and I think as much more than just believers, because we're talking about our relationship with believers, our relationship with our family, and then with our occupations, but I think not just believers, but everyone else, um, every other person is made in the image of God and deserves our, our love, well, not deserves, but, you know, is, for us, we have to love one another, even as Christ you know, loved us, that's what he tells us. Um, and, uh, let me find the, Verse I, had. I think it's Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus is telling us. There's one point I wanted to make here. Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. It says in chapter 18, verse 23... Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him. He owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
and I think I kind of talked about this earlier, but, you know, is that realizing what Christ has done for us and, you know, letting that motivate us and, and our lives. And this is something I really thought about, you know, probably a few months ago is like, what's my motivation to love others, even when they're unlovable? Even when, even when the, you know, this person that you, it's the last person in the world that you want to do anything nice for or be kind to, what's my motivation for loving that person? And it goes back to the fact that God loved us and forgave us, and we didn't, we didn't deserve it. You know, we, we deserved his immediate justice, and yet he gave us mercy. And so there's no person that's too far gone. There's no person that's outside of your reach of, of caring for and loving, no matter how, what they've done to you, no matter what, you know, how bad they are, you know, we're infinitely worse compared to a holy God. The, the distance between a holy God and our sin is infinite, and yet he bridges that gap to rescue us. And so there's not one person on the face of this earth that's, that's too far, that, is not, that we can say, that's it, I'm done with him, there's nothing I can do, he's done this and this and this to me, there's no hope for him, I don't, you know, that, that's, it can't be, because this is what Jesus is saying here, is you should forgive everyone, because I've forgiven you, and the debt is infinitely greater. And so much more, especially with believers, you know, if the spirit of Christ is in me and the spirit of Christ is in you, you know, we should, we should be in unity. As Jesus says, you should forgive 70 times seven, not just seven times. And that, you know, that's the character of Christ, right? That's being built up in us through sanctification. That's what we're striving for, is putting off and putting on. We're striving to be more like Christ. And that's as far as our relationship with believers um, I think that's a good example. And our relationship with our family, seems like we're running out of time, so I'm going to go ahead and open it up. Um, does anyone have any more comments or questions? I think that's a great point. And we can go back to Romans, Romans 5, when he talks about, for while we are still yet helpless or sinners, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly which who we are, for one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for even a good man, someone would even dare to die. But here's the adversative conjunction in 8. This is 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. That's the beauty of forgiveness. The beauty of that is God sought us out. The hound of heaven seeks us out. And the beauty of forgiveness in our lives as, as we're satisfied with this person and his doing in our life, by the power of the Spirit, we can make a decision and we can commit to that commitment of saying, I make a decision, I understand, I remember what you've done to me, I choose to forgive the person who has offended you. That's how we go out, being satisfied with what God has done and that is an outpour towards others around us. That's the real beauty of all of it. The ability to do so through the power of Christ. Amen. Anybody else, Sam? Yeah, I think um, uh, it's kind of like Derek what just what Derek just pointed out, how um, how rooted this this section is um, in our reconciliation to God, right? Um, since we've been reconciled to God, uh, we forgive, right? We've been forgiven, so we forgive, right? We've been uh, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, so we should let peace uh, rule amongst us. You know, we have been we're all essentially, you know, we're all here because we're marked. Um, by Christ, right? We've been reconciled to God, so we should be thankful with one another. We should be willing to, to bear long with one another because we have been shown 
immense kindness like you were just talking about, right? Like we have been, Jesus has paid it all, right? An infinite debt we could, we could never even try um, to accomplish on our own. So I think this, pa- this passage, how, how deeply rooted it is in Christ's redemptive work, and, and since it's rooted in that, um, we should be willing to live peaceably amongst each other and be thankful You know, Jesus says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, is when you have love one for another, right? That's the way that pe- we're going to stand out in the world, is, is the way we function as, as, a, as a body, as a group of believers. Um, I think we're out of time, so I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer, unless there's any more comments or questions. Just, just to cap off of what was said, and what you've, again, thank you for bringing just this great message of, of, of hope and, and what the new life looks like. And it, it just came to mind, the, the verse that caps off a lot of what you were just saying. <coughs> Excuse me. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. There is a difference. We're going to be putting on new clothes, and, and we are going to be dressed differently, walk differently, think differently because of this new relationship. And that's just the outpouring. It's not what saves us, but it's the outpouring of gratitude for what you just, and Matthew was a good good example of that, because of what Christ has done. We've been shown so much mercy. We have so much to be thankful for, and that, that should be what drives us to want to do these things. But uh, again, uh, great message. All right. All right, I'll go ahead and close us in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be up here and just speak about your word. I hope and trust that you use something I said, though it may have sounded like nonsense, some people, um, to reach somebody, to help somebody, Lord. It's all in faith, Lord, that you, you can take somebody weak and, 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 and use them, Lord. And so I pray that the message went forth, that has touched somebody where they needed uh, a new way of thinking, Lord, I ask that you would sanctify us as a body, keep us in your word, keep us growing in Christ. Lord, let us reach maturity as we continue our day of worship. Lord, I ask that that you would bless Pastor Nick as he brings your message, that you bless the worship. Lord, that that you would fill us with a sense of your love and wonder and glory, and that we would be changed to your image more and more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.